Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and stand with me as we continue our study through God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, beginning in verse 10, it says, But to the married I give instructions, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But to the rest I say, not the Lord, uh, or the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? You may be seated. Last week in our study, we looked at um, the topics of singleness in marriage and even celibacy in marriage. As a way of reminder, the church of Corinth at some point had written to uh, Paul a letter asking him some specific questions about things going on in the church. This church was pretty messed up, confused, especially when it comes to the subjects of physical intimacy and sex. And some in the church took a liberal stance. And they had this view that God's grace saved them. And they were right there, but they didn't stop there. And they said, well, because of that, we can really just live our lives however we want. Remember, Corinth was a very sexually charged city. And so they're like, we could just kind of do whatever we want when it comes to physical intimacy. And God's grace covers. Then there was another sect in the church who took a different stance and pretty much said that sex was bad altogether, even for those who are married, and that everyone should just abstain from any form of physical intimacy to fully give themselves to the Lord and the ministry. And so they wrote to the Apostle Paul and asked him, what do we do regarding sex? (laughs) Should we abstain from it altogether? Does that make us holy and righteous? Like, does God look upon us with more favor? Or do we indulge in this thing? Like, or does God even care? Like, is he really involved in this area of our lives? And then last week, we talked about singleness. And Paul says that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And what we found by going through that section last week is that by being single, By remaining unmarried, it can be a very good thing. And one of the things that Paul brings up later in this chapter, we'll address it in the next week or so, is that for the one who is married, they have so many other concerns in life. They have concerns for their spouse. They have concerns for their children, you know, how they're going to provide for the family, 
And those are good, and those are needed responsibilities. But for those who are single, they don't have to worry about those things. And Paul says that they're free from concern later in this chapter. The only concern that they have in life is the Lord, they, how they please the Lord. And so being single and not marrying can be a good thing, but notice it's not the ultimate thing. God doesn't look down on single people with more favor than he does on married couples. And Paul, he recognizes that being single is a gift from the Lord. Remember that word gift, charisma, first part charis, which is grace. It's a form of grace that God doesn't just bestow on anyone and everyone, but to some people, the Lord has gifted them in grace, by his grace, to remain single, to not need to get married or to get remarried so that they can fully devote themselves to the Lord and his kingdom. And Paul knew that if people operated in this gift, if they didn't feel that unnecessary pressure, and I say that intentionally, unnecessary pressure to have to get married, that it would be a good thing. And I think, uh, I was talking to a gentleman this morning about that, that very thing. It's like, I think sometimes in the church, because marriage God created and it's good and it's holy and it's beautiful, um, we have this idea that everyone needs to get married and everyone needs to get married today. Like, I fall into that. Like, you know this. Like, if you're young and single, I'm, my wife and I, we're trying to find you a spouse. But like, I realize, I realize that not everyone is called to marriage. And that's okay because here Paul is saying like, hey, this is a gift of grace to remain single. And for me, I think the challenge was like, Ryan, remember that not everyone um, needs to or, or is called to marriage, to be married. And sometimes they, the Lord has gifted them in such a way that they can just be freed up to fully devote themselves to the Lord. So we have to be careful with that. Then Paul says, I wish that more people were like me in this. In which way? Just freed up to fully serve the Lord with their lives. And he says, it can be a good thing. But Paul, again, also knew that God created us as sexual beings with a sex drive and that if we have those desires and we have these feelings that it is 110% totally fine to get married. Because again, it was God himself who created marriage. God created the marriage bed as we read last week. And marriage in the eyes of God and how he created it to function, listen, is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And even when it comes to physical intimacy in marriage, it's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And Paul tells the Corinthian believers that by abstaining from sex does not make you more holy or righteous, whether you're married or not. Because again, there were those in the church who were under this impression that any form of sexual fulfillment, again, even in marriage, would make you less holy. And they're starting to spread these views throughout the church and the church is confused. So this chapter, Paul is responding to them, seeking to just provide clarity to this issue, for this issue, and to correct those whose thinking was skewed. He told them point blank, last week we looked at it, he said, stop depriving one another. Stop robbing or cheating your spouse by refusing to love them the way that only a spouse can love them. And now that brings us to today's passage, looking at verse 10. Paul continues to answer specific questions that this church had for him. And this morning, we're going to address the topic of divorce and remarriage. And let me just say, this is not an easy topic. 
It's not an easy topic to, to talk about or, or to convey, um, even this morning, because I know that um, so many of us in this room, we've been affected by divorce, especially in the culture in which we live. Maybe you um, have gone through a divorce yourself. This is not an easy topic, but you need to understand the Lord's heart this morning. And that's what I hope and pray that I convey is God's heart and his word. Before we dive into verse 10, I want to set, though, I know we've been talking about marriage, but I felt like just really led of the Lord to, to lay more groundwork concerning marriage. Um, I understand that many of you, I, I look out like you guys have probably been walking with the Lord, some of you, um, longer than I've been alive. Like, that's amazing. You know the word of God. You know his heart towards marriage. But at the same time, I also know that there's some of you that I don't recognize. And I don't know if, if you're new to Christianity. You're like, I'm new to the Bible. I don't, what does the Bible say? I don't know what God's heart is towards marriage. All I know about marriage is like what I saw in my parents and that wasn't good. And I'm kind of like jaded by the whole fact or whatever I see on TV. Like that's what I know about marriage. So I want to briefly talk about what is marriage according to the Bible. So if you were to ask, what is marriage? In order to answer that question, we have to step back into time. We have to kind of leave 2022 behind Think of a time before sin entered the world. I know that seems very hard to imagine. Before hard-heartedness, a time before rebellion, a time before selfishness, before there was pride and unforgiveness, before that there was, you know, lust and greed and sexual perversion. We have to go back to the very beginning when God first established the perfect order of creation because that's where we see the first marriage. Scripture tells us that the first wedding took place in a garden at the beginning in the book of Genesis. The story begins with God who created all things. God created Adam, the first human being. And God said that it is not good for man to be alone. This is the first time. You guys, if you guys are students of the Bible, you know this. Like the first time out of all things that God created, he said, whoa, something is not right here. Something needs out of balance. And that is because man was alone. He says, I need, I need to do something about this. And so he says, I will make a suitable helper for Adam. And so he puts Adam to sleep in order to create Eve. And when Adam wakes up, there she is, his lady, just waiting for him. And the father presents to Adam his lovely wife, very first wedding in the Bible. God calls Eve Adam's suitable helper, the one that would complete him. Genesis 2, 24 says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Listen, God's intent of this beautiful union of man and woman that we call marriage was firmly established without condition. It was designed to be, listen, a lasting covenant. And in marriage, this covenant is a binding relationship between a man and a woman for life until death do us part. And when the two become one, they are joined together as one before God but it's much more than just a physical act or a sexual act. It is also a spiritual union. You see, God's design for marriage is 100% perfect. This covenant, again, is not just between two parties. It is a covenant sanctioned and blessed by God himself. God's design for marriage, listen, is to bless you. Do you know that? It's to bless you, not curse you. 
You're like, I feel a little cursed in my marriage. Like, no, God's design and how he created it is to bless you. It's to strengthen you, to build you up. His design for marriage is to strengthen our society, our culture. That's why I think the enemy is out to destroy the family unit. Because I think God is working. He desires to work. One, we know in Ephesians 5 that a marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. And if the devil can destroy your marriage, it taints the gospel in the world's eyes. And I would say, just to boil it all down, a biblical definition of marriage would be this. It'll be on the screen. Marriage is the coming together of two distinct persons, a man and a woman, who are then joined together in a holy covenant before God, being joined together spiritually, physically, and emotionally, forming one family unit. This is God's holy perspective of what he had in mind for marriage in the beginning, and that has never changed. That has never changed. Marriage itself is to be honored. It is honored by God. It is a lasting covenant. And, and that's who Paul is addressing here in this section. Those who are married, those who are, who, who are in covenant, in a covenant relationship between God and their spouse. So with that in mind, look at verse 10. He says, but to the married, those who, that's who he's talking about. I give instructions he says, not I, but the Lord. Paul is saying, what I'm getting ready to tell you here is, is these aren't my words. These are words coming straight from the teachings of Jesus. He says that the wife should not leave her husband, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Paul here is emphasizing the permanency of marriage. He's emphasizing why we say, till death do us part in our vows. And in this section, um, it's important to note again that Paul is talking about two believers who are married to each other. He's addressing the married Christians in the church of Corinth. And here's the likely context. Most likely, these two married people perhaps came to know Jesus after they were married. Okay, so they, they got married in life. Some, sometime later, they, they met Jesus and they came into their lives to him. And they were confused, again, by what, all the teachings going on in the church. And they were asking Paul, okay, now that we know Jesus, like, would it be better for us just to separate and to live single lives? Would that be better? Like, would that honor the Lord more? And I think that's an honest question if that was, if that was in, indeed the question. And, and Paul is answering them, again, straight from the teachings of Jesus. He says, absolutely not. <laughs> Now, you might be wondering, well, what did Jesus say about divorce? That's a good question. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 3, these are the words of Jesus. As some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and he said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus is responding to the, the questions of the Pharisees about divorce by referring to God's design to, to, of marriage and its beauty and its permanency. 
So he's not, Jesus is not skirting the issue um, concerning divorce, but rather he's forcing the Pharisees at this point to understand it in light of God's intentions for marriage. And Paul, here in, in Corinthians 7, he says, he's reminding the believers of the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus' teaching, teachings takes us all the way back to Genesis, saying that marriage is to be permanent. It's designed to be a lasting covenant. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, as a guy, I'm going to address this as a guy, I love weddings, some of you guys hate weddings. You, you get dragged to weddings. I personally love going to weddings. I love officiating weddings. Now, uh, as a pastor, um, I, don't like, I don't like the reception, like the dancing thing. Like my wife has tried to pull me to the dance floor and it does not work. Um, she enjoys like the, the party element of, 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 a, of a wedding. But for me, like when a, when a marriage starts out on the right track, there is nothing to me more beautiful than that. To me, and not to me, to the Lord, a marriage ceremony is really a worship service. Did you guys know that? It's really a worship service. And I love, I love love. Like I love it when couples fall, like, fall in love and like get married and pledge like to live their lives together until they die. Um, that's amazing. But um, typically when I do a wedding, when I officiate a wedding, um, I have the couple uh, recite a vow of promise to each other, but it's also before the Lord. And perhaps when you got married, you said these vows um, as well. You might have used words like for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Anyone say words similar to that when you got married? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Listen, those are not just words that someone one day just eloquently crafted, okay? And now we just, they just become a tradition. No, no, no. Rather in marriage, that's God's heart for marriage, this is how God views the marriage relationship. Amen? Now let's be honest. Amen? <laughs> there we go. I'm like, whoa, I lost them here. Like, Lord, help us. <laughs> now let's be honest though. Let's just take a deep breath. Marriage is hard. Amen? <laughs> there we go. Okay. I got you there. Wow, that was easier. <laughs> There are problems in every marriage. Um, I, I shared just even uh, weaknesses as a husband in my, in my marriage with my wife last week. But there are challenges in marriage. There are misunderstandings. There are frustrations. And then on top of all of those things, there's trials that we go through as married couples. You have financial trials. Maybe you have one of your... One of your, like your spouse, not one of your spouses, that doesn't make sense. You have one. Um, your spouse like lost his job or her job and you're going through a financial difficulty. That's a trial. What, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay the mortgage? And, and you know, anytime in marriage there's a financial difficulty, like it's just stressful and it just creates tension and all of those things. Or some of you go through health trials. You go through cancer. You go through whatever difficulty health-wise, that just, it's added strain to the marriage relationship. And listen, when, when those types of challenges come, the call for you and I who are married is to stick it out, right? Is to press into Jesus altogether all the more, to be faithful, to not run. The problem today in our culture is that any time, any, any sign of difficulty, right? It's like, I'm bailing, like I'm out of here. Like I didn't sign up for this. 
Well, what did you sign up for? Like a perfect marriage, a perfect spouse? Maybe. You guys are like, oh, they're not perfect. <laughs> like, they're not, but your spouse is not perfect. But our society says like, run, get out, find happiness with someone else. Divorce rates are crazy high, even amongst Christians. And I would give you stats, but right now stats are actually, divorce rates are actually lower. Do you know why divorce rates are actually lower right now? People are not getting married anymore. They're living, they're living together. Like, you know what? I've seen, I've done marriage. It didn't work for me. Or I've seen marriage and that didn't work for them. I don't want anything to do with it. So I'm just going to um, live with the significant other and just try it out or however long. Like, you know, that's what we see in our culture. But Paul says here, the wife should not leave her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. Why? Because understanding God's heart for marriage, this is a lifelong lasting covenant. And then he goes on to say, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Paul is acknowledging that for whatever reason and whatever purpose, a wife or a husband might choose to divorce. It might be, again, because they're confused. They think that being single would honor and glorify the Lord more. It might be because of unhappiness in the relationship. It might be because there's conflict or even abuse or addiction in the relationship. Paul recognizes here, he's not encouraging it, but he recognizes that we live in a broken and a fallen world where sin sometimes gets the better of us. And so he recognizes that one spouse might depart or separate or divorce in a way that he says, Listen, they cannot consider them divorced with a right to remarry just anyone. Whoever they just feel like marrying now, they, they're just free to. No, no, he's not saying that. What Paul is saying is that the person who issued the divorce for unbiblical reasons or grounds must remain single and unmarried for the rest of their lives. Or, he says, they could choose to reconcile back with their spouse. You see, where there is difficulty in marriage, and maybe this morning you're here and you have a tough marriage. There's so much difficulty and struggle and you don't know how long you can last. I understand that that could be your story. Listen, reconciliation is always God's heart for you. It's always God's heart. I know it doesn't always happen, but it's God's heart First and foremost, his desire for you and your spouse is that there would be reconciliation in your relationship. And that if that reconciliation can't come for whatever reason, Paul says, let them remain unmarried. Why? Again, because marriage is a lifelong covenant between you, your spouse, and the Lord. Now, as I said last week, Paul is not writing a detailed theological statement concerning marriage, singleness, divorce, and remarriage here. Paul is simply responding to specific questions from a certain group of people in the church. And that leaves us always wondering, like, are there exceptions to divorce? Paul says, you know, to remain married, but is, is that it? <laughs> How about what happens if I've been divorced? Like, am I free to get remarried? What is a biblical cause for divorce to happen? And if you remember what I said last week is that you have to take the whole of Scripture, the entirety of Scripture, in order to gather a true biblical position on this topic. 
And so what does the Bible have to say on divorce? I have a few, if you want to just snap a photo of this, if you're interested in doing a deep dive into divorce, Deuteronomy 24 in the law with Moses, Malachi 2, you get God's heart clearly how he feels towards divorce. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Mark 10, the disciples follow up a question that the Pharisees were asking Jesus, Matthew 19, we're going to spend some time there. And then of course, here we are in 1 Corinthians 7 this morning. So if you want to understand more divorce in light of scripture, check those scriptures out. But in Matthew 19, the Pharisees, you know, they're always trying to grill Jesus and they're trying to catch Jesus like um, in a misstep or with misword, uses of words. And um, they're trying to grill him right here on marriage and divorce. And he says, they, the Pharisees in verse seven of Matthew 19, they said to Jesus, why then did Moses command, again in Deuteronomy, why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. Notice how Jesus corrects the Pharisees here. Moses did not command them to divorce. He permitted it. He permitted them to get divorced. And listen, there's a big difference there. So it's not designed by God for his creation, but it's allowed. Maybe your translation in Matthew 19 says allowed. He allowed it or permitted it in a world marred by sin. And the goal has always been the permanence of marriage. If there's one thing that you understand and you take away this morning is that marriage in God's design, in his perfect and holy design, is meant to be permanent. The Pharisees, they took this statement from Moses as a command. And Jesus, no, 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 he's like, guys, this is a mere permission. And why did he permit you to do it? He says, because of the hardness of your heart, God permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. But then Jesus, he goes on to raise the standard like he always does. The Pharisees, they're trying to argue the law, find caveats. But as always, Jesus goes deeper. Matthew 19, verse nine, he says, and I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here's the teachings of Jesus. When it comes to two people who are believers, divorce is permitted among God's people on one basis and one basis alone, infidelity, adultery. According to Jesus, there are no other bases for divorce among Christians. And listen, we have to understand that truth. When a Christian couple gets a divorce for reasons other than infidelity, it is putting that couple at risk of being at enmity with God. I think of Malachi 2.16. God, God says, I hate divorce. And I think we can understand why he hates divorce because divorce is never clean. And again, like I said a second ago, I think we've all, probably all of us, have been affected by divorce, whether that's our parents, whether that's our siblings, whether that's our kids, whether that's you yourself. You've been affected by divorce and you see that there's so much baggage and there's so much hurt that comes with divorce. People are affected by it. It doesn't just affect the one or the two, the two parties involved. But listen, God takes this issue of divorce very, very seriously. And we as his church have to take this issue as serious as well. We need a biblical perspective. 
Listen, when it comes to divorce, you have to kind of forget, not have to, you have to forget how you feel about the matter. You have to forget what someone else has told you historically. Like, it's okay. You have to forget what your, you know, your therapist <laughs> told you. For, definitely forget what culture tells you about divorce. You have to look at the entirety of the scriptures and see what the Bible says about divorce. And there's only one case for divorce, but hear this. It's not even mandatory that you get divorced, even if infidelity takes place. That's the heart of God. The Lord would rather you and your spouse be healed and, and, and forgiveness be had and reconciliation be had. That's God's heart for your marriage. That's his heart for you and your spouse. But he does, listen, he does understand there are ramifications of sin, are there not? There are ramifications on how a person is affected by the unfaithfulness of another. And so in that case, God allows it. He allows it. But listen, it was never his heart for you. His heart was always for your marriage to be for life. And so here's what this means for us as believers. We cannot get a divorce because we feel out of love or because we met someone else that you think is your real soulmate. We cannot get a divorce because our spouse changed or, or your marriage isn't the same as it used to be. You cannot get a divorce because your careers are conflicting, you have financial differences. Listen, irreconcilable differences, it's huge in Hollywood, it's been huge for years, that's the, the caveat they use. Irreconcilable differences aren't a good enough reason when we have the God of reconciliation. Amen? And so Jesus is teaching us that the vows that we made before him with, to our spouse, they're made and they're binding for life. And so Paul understood Jesus' teachings. He understood that divorce was unacceptable except in the case of sexual immorality. And if there was a divorce between two believers for any other reason than that, that the party that was initiating the divorce should remain unmarried or the other option would be that they reconciled to their spouse. Look at verse 12. He says, but to the rest I say, not the Lord. Here, Paul is just simply, with his apostolic authority, he's simply building on the teachings of Jesus. He says that if any brother has a wife who is, who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. And so he's dealing with a different case here. One spouse is believing, one, one spouse is not. But what Paul is saying is that everything in this scenario hinges on the attitude of the unbelieving spouse. Some in Corinth were, were perhaps teaching that a believer must never live with an unbeliever, that they were to be equally yoked. And if, they, if both started out as non-Christians and then at some point in their marriage, one of them got saved and it wasn't right you know, for them to continue living with an unbelieving spouse. And so their conclusion was divorce, like separation. And so Paul gives authoritative instructions and he says, no, 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 you're wrong in that thinking. Don't begin to think that way. If you've come to faith in Christ and your husband or your wife hasn't, and they're happy to continue to live with you and be married to you, make sure that you continue to live with them. And then he gives this tremendous statement in verse 14. Look at this. He says, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, 
And the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband. For otherwise, your children are unclean, but now they are holy. You see, the big question was, would the uncleanness of the unbeliever cancel out the cleanness of the believer? Would the lack of faith in the unbeliever cancel out the faith of the believer in the marriage? And Paul says, no, no, no. In fact, the godliness of the one does a lot of good to sanctify the marriage. Now, what does this mean? Because this can be confusing. You're reading this like, I have a lot of follow-up questions to the statement. Let me say this. It clearly doesn't mean that a man or a wife becomes a Christian as a result of just living in a house with another believer. That's not what Paul is saying. He is rather teaching that there is a benefit that can take place to any other members of a Christian's family. And maybe, maybe you this morning, you, you had one parent, maybe a, a mom or a dad uh, that was a believer and the other, the, the other parent wasn't. And, you know, your coming to Jesus was greatly affected by watching the faithfulness of one of your parents. I've heard that story time and time again, and that's what Paul's referring to. He's referring to that kind of overall marital impact of a life of someone who prays, someone who worships, someone who believes in God. He says, man, I think there's good that will spill over to the spouse. It spills over to the children of the home. I think of of Peter when he said in 1 Peter uh, 3, this is the New Living. It says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, Your godly lives will speak to them without any words and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. That's the the goal. That's what Paul is communicating is that there is good by remaining in the marriage as a believer. If your spouse is not a believer, you're a believer, there is good that will happen. It could be a long road. And some of you, you're, maybe you're there this morning. It could be a long road and you're still praying for your spouse, but there's good that can happen. And then Paul, he finishes this section by bringing up a very important point in verse, verse 15. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. And the brother or the sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? What Paul is saying is that if your unbelieving spouse leaves you, they walk out, they're like, this Jesus thing is not for me and it's kind of affecting our our lifestyle or whatever and I'm out, um, that's grounds for divorce. It's biblical grounds for divorce. Now the Bible talks, like I mentioned briefly, about being equally yoked. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And that means that if you're a Christian, you should marry another Christian. But if you're married to an unbeliever, Paul is saying, stay married to them. But if they leave you, if they abandon you, then you have biblical grounds for divorce. Now, it's under this category. I just want to say my own interpretation. Now, I know I'm not saying this is authoritative. This is how I view scripture. Um, Is that it's under this category of abandonment um, that I would address abuse as a forced type of abandonment. And so regarding abuse, I want to say this as clearly as I can this morning, that there is absolutely no place for abuse in marriage. There is zero tolerance for this. And before we move on with with just the, the close, I want to say that if you are experiencing abuse this morning 
in your home, do not believe the lie that it is your fault or that somehow you are protecting your spouse by remaining silent and not uh, letting people, bringing people into that situation. Listen, hear me on this. If you are in a physically abusive situation, you need to get out. You need to get out. You need to talk to someone that you trust right away. Reach out to one of the pastors. I would be happy to meet with you. Call the police. Like abuse, listen, you need to know this. Because as I've grown, I, and the reason I bring this up, you're like, this is a weird uh, thing that Pastor Ryan would be bringing up this morning. Listen, I have, I, nothing surprises me anymore, especially in the church. And I have been just, I think, whiplash or whatever, blindsided by the stories that I hear years later of what has been going on in certain marriages. And I wanted to address that from a pastoral uh, place this morning, that abuse is a clear violation of the covenant of marriage. And it must be confronted immediately. And so what we see here in this passage, though, is marriage is for life, yes. How God designed and created marriage. Marriage is for life. It is permanent and that in general, divorce should not be an option, but there are two exceptions from Jesus, what we see in scripture, and that is adultery and abandonment in, in, in which I would include abuse. And so I wanna say to you, if you're considering a divorce for any reasons I mentioned, don't try to make that decision alone. Follow scripture. That's why I wanted a list the scripture's there for you, but also I would encourage you to seek godly counsel from men, if you're a man, woman, if you're a woman, the counsel of your pastors and elders here. We would love to meet with you. We'd love to pray for you and walk with you, but you can't do this. You can't, you can't walk this, uh, uh, you're gonna walk this alone, but we don't want that for you, but we can't help if we don't know. And we wanna know, and we wanna know, not just so we can know, but so we can love you and minister to you. Now, this is weighty stuff. This is not one of those fun topics to, to teach on. Not that any of them so far for me have been fun, fun topics to teach on. <laughs> but I want you to know this morning that the point here is not condemnation, but comfort and direction. Listen, we cannot change the past. You cannot change your past but for those of you that have been through a divorce, I want you to know this, God loves you and we love you as a church. Jesus, listen, Jesus has borne your shame. Now this leaves one more real difficult question that I need to address this morning that this passage at least mentions and that is remarriage. Can a Christian remarry? Now, if divorce occurs on biblical grounds, then the innocent party is free to marry. That's, that's clear in scripture. But you might ask, what about the person who caused the divorce? And I would say that that's a lot more difficult and honestly, it depends on the situation. I would ask questions if someone were to come to me. Well, why do you wanna get remarried? Has there been repentance? Have you attempted reconciliation with your first spouse? I was talking to my dad. There was, there was, um, he was doing a remarriage um, for a guy in his church. This is probably 17 years ago now. And it left an impression on my heart as a young guy. 
And this guy, he, this guy was, was great. I actually knew his first wife. And uh, in the years, they, they, they got divorced. And I, honestly, I'm not even clear on, on the reasoning why they got divorced. Again, I was, I was young and um, not that young, but I was young. And, um, I, but I remember when, when it came to remarriage for him and the Lord led him to another spouse, I remember, and it really left an impression on my heart because I called my dad this week in light of this. And I said, I just want to make sure I understood when, you know, I was, like I said, younger. You, you, your counsel to this guy was to go back to his wife, wasn't it? Was, wasn't it? He says, absolutely. He says, I've counseled them. I've ca- I counseled him and I've counseled many people before. Try to reconcile. Try to go back to your fr- first spouse. See if that could, that is always, listen, that is always God's heart. So I would ask a lot of questions. Listen, divorce is not the unforgivable sin and marriage and, or remarriage can be an option, but it needs to be pursued under the, under the authority of Scripture. And there's so many more questions that I'm sure you're going to find me in the lobby to ask me about. But, <laughs> but we submit to Scripture together. That's what we have to do. This word, it's not my word, and I'm so grateful for that. This is God's word. And, and you and I as Christians, as believers, we must submit to this. We must walk together in life. We seek discernment by the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, we look to Jesus. Now, I want to close this morning with an Old Testament story that points us forward to Jesus. And the Old Testament story is about a man named Hosea. It's one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And God tells Hosea to do the unthinkable and to marry a prostitute. Like, what? Like, what, God, are you thinking? Like, is that right? And so God tells him to marry a prostitute, and he does. He does just that. He goes out and marries a prostitute. And what happens in the story is that she's unfaithful to him. She cheats on him, with the, and the Bible says, with many other lovers. And what does God do? He tells Hosea to pursue his wife who has been unfaithful to him to pursue her with love and mercy and to woo her back and to speak tender words to her. And Hosea, he does this. This is not easy. I couldn't imagine being Hosea. He does this and he pursues his wife to win her back. And listen, that story ultimately points us to God's covenantal, unconditional love for his people. Not only Israel, because that is a clear example of of God's heart towards Israel, but it's also for you and I, that you and I were unfaithful. And the book of Hosea says that our sin is like spiritual adultery. We have cheated on the very God who loves us and has been faithful to us. And yet God comes after us with love. He pursues us. He speaks tenderly to us. He woos us back with his love. Are you grateful for that? The New Testament talks about Jesus as a husband pursuing his bride. And in Ephesians 5, it says that Jesus lays down his life for his bride, the church. And there's a reference there to the cross. And we see the greatest display of sacrificial, covenantal love that this world has ever seen. That Jesus died for our sins so that we can be reconciled. We can be brought back to God. And that we can experience union with God, to experience intimacy with God far greater than any intimacy that we could ever experience in marriage today. And so the invitation for all of us this morning is to Christ. 
into intimacy with him. Whether you're married this morning, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're on your third marriage, the invitation is to come to Jesus. And then lastly, I want to say this. I know there are a lot of hurting marriages here. There are those here that are struggling in marriage. I want to end by reminding you that we serve a God of reconciliation. We serve a God of healing. We serve a God of peace, a God of unity. And you might be in a place in your marriage where you feel stuck. You feel like you've tried everything. You're suffering in your marriage. The call for you this morning is to look to Jesus. And maybe you're sitting next to your spouse and you guys know that you're struggling in your marriage. Look to Jesus together in humility. Come together to the foot of the cross. Cling to the grace of God, forgiving one another, listening to one another, seeking counsel where counsel is needed, but look to Jesus. For those of you here this morning that are married to an unbeliever, maybe this has been very difficult for you, this season of your life. We love you and know we are praying for you. And at the same time, though we see that this is a difficult journey, I would say this, that we're believing God with you for the salvation of your spouse. And those of you here this morning, you've gone through a divorce in your past, please do not allow the devil to shame you or to rake you through the coals of of forgiven sin. Your sin has been forgiven. You don't need to live back there. I'm just reminded of the story, Jesus, the woman caught in adultery, been married a lot of times. What was Jesus' heart? Woman, go and sin no more. Your sins have been forgiven. It's a fresh start but continue just to walk in that forgiveness. Don't allow the devil to shame you. And if you're a believer here this morning, you're going through difficulties again in your marriage. Don't allow the world to talk you into running away from your marriage. Rather with a humble heart, believing that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we can ever ask, imagine, or think in your marriage. Ask him to rekindle and to restore and to renew so that the watching world would look at your marriage and say, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to make it. I counseled them to divorce. But whoa, God must be real. That's what God desires for your marriage. Listen, divorce may be an option in the case of adultery, but it doesn't have to be the only option. The first response towards adultery is to seek repentance and reconciliation. Reconciliation, as we learned about church discipline, is always the goal. Divorce is always the last option. And if you're here this morning, the final person I want to address are those who are single. Those who are single and desire to get married one day, I would say this, go slow. Go slow. Count the cost. Be careful who you marry. Remember that marriage in the eyes of the Lord is for life. And this gets harder. I was talking with a, a young gentleman today or this week about, about this. And nor, I, I got married when I was 18. So my, the counsel of go slow, it's kind of hypocritical on my end. Um, but when I say go slow, that really has nothing to do with time. 
Because sometimes you can date someone for 15 years and get married and, and it still blows up, okay? You can date someone. I had coffee with a, a guy and, uh, this week and he uh, had lunch with a gal and three months later they're engaged and three months later after that they got married and they're serving Jesus nine years later. Like, you know, like I'm not saying time, when I say go slow, I'm not, it's not about like a calendar thing, but just make sure, make sure this person is who they say they are. This is who God has for you. Go slow. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.